thank you for all of that. If you would, turn in the Bible to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. Now, Ezekiel may be hard to find. It is one of the major prophets. It is after Jeremiah and Lamentations. It's huge, so if you just start thumbing through the Old Testament, you'll probably see Ezekiel. While you're turning there, I want to point you to the Baptist Faith and Message. Now, we have these available for everyone. Um, You can get a little booklet like this, kind of small print. If the print's too small, then we have printed out large print ones at the back for you to have those. And this is, in a small little capsule, the Statement of Faith for the Southern Baptist Convention. If you want to know on paper what do Southern Baptists believe, this is it. This is an updated version adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention on June 14th of 2000, right? This is the most recent one, and it's really good, okay? And tonight, we are starting section four on salvation. So far, section one was on the scriptures. Section two was on God, in which we had a sermon on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, section three was on man, doctrine of man. Andrew Crawford preached last Sunday night on that. It was really good. Thankful for him and his message. And then tonight we start section four on salvation. Salvation is a loaded subject, and so uh, I'm not to cover all of it. I'm to cover regeneration. That's what we're going to look at tonight, okay? I want to read to you, though, the statement in here, the paragraph about salvation. Here's what it says. Salvation involves the redemption of the whole man and is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. There is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. All right. So there's our opening statement in the Baptist Faith and Message on, on salvation, but it gives us four terms, and I think what we're doing is we're going to have a sermon on all four of those since I'm covering just regeneration. So regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification, those are big words, and we will explain those. So tonight is just regeneration. Here's what it says on regeneration. Regeneration, or the new birth, is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. Repentance is a genuine turning from sin toward God. Faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and commitment of the entire personality to him as Lord and Savior. Now, that's a lot. I mean, that's three paragraphs right there, the Baptist faith and message. It's a lot, okay? In salvation, right, it is when you come to be a follower of Christ. That's what salvation is. But when you get into, like, how did that happen and when do you get there, that's where it gets kind of detailed. I don't want to say complicated. I just want to say detailed. There are a lot of different stages to it, and hence we have terms like regeneration, justification, glorification, um, sanctification, right? That's why we have those terms. So it it is detailed, right? Now, 
When we start talking about like, hey, how did you become a Christian? We call that sharing your testimony. We've heard testimonies many, many times. And if you've been a type of person who's been in church long enough, then you've heard a lot of testimonies. And you know, and I know, and we all know that when you listen to testimonies, sometimes they really get to the heart of the matter. And sometimes we're like, you didn't really tell us anything except for your life story. And a testimony is not a life story. A testimony might be your story, but it's not just your story. A testimony is to be you telling your story of how God changed your life. That's what a testimony is supposed to be. Over the years, we have learned that when somebody's going to share their testimony, we actually coach them on or instruct them on how to share their testimony. Your testimony has to include your life before Christ, how you found Christ, and your life after Christ. Your testimony has to say that you actually repented of your sins and believed in Jesus and God saved you, right? So those components have to be there. Well, what the Baptist faith and message is pointing out is that those things are what caused you to have a testimony. And so we're breaking those down, okay? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. I want tonight to show you three biblical passages that speak to regeneration, okay? Three passages. If you know these three passages, all right, then you will have a great foundation for knowing what we mean when we say regeneration. I fear that most church people, if we were to say, what do you mean by regeneration? They would say, I'm not sure, because it's a big word, okay? But as, as we've often taught here at our church, okay, big words can often be a time where somebody wants to show you how much they know. And so we use big words to try to show you that we're smart or that we've learned something or that we know a lot about something, right? And so that's not necessary except when God uses the big word, okay? And he does. Sometimes in the Bible, there are big words. Now, you've heard me every single week say on Sunday morning that in the introduction to John, he says the most profound truths with the smallest words, right? And I've said that every single week. And so there, we don't really see any of those in the beginning of John. But there are some big words in the Bible. You have the word, you know, sanctify. You have the word justify. You have the word regeneration in the Bible. These are real words, right? And so if God uses those words, may we never say, ooh, that's over my head, or I'm not smart enough for that. May we say, well, what does that mean? And so that's where we are tonight, regeneration. In short, regeneration means to be made new. In short, regeneration means the new birth. In short, it means the dead has been brought to life, okay? So those type of things, but I want to show you from three passages. And the first one is from... Ezekiel chapter 36, okay? Ezekiel 36, and we're going to start reading at verse 22. Now, you know that the story of the Old Testament is about how God's people continue to be disobedient to him. He has plans for them. He is working in them. He's going to use them for his glory. He's going to make a people for his own namesake and for his worship, but they continue to disobey him, okay? So we have this. Tucked away in Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know 
that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So let's stop there for just a second. God is saying here that his people have been a bad example to the nations. The nations, in observing God's people, do not have a good view of God, and that's a problem, right? We are to be light in the world so that the world sees our good works and glorifies God through what they see in us. They had not been that way, and God is speaking to that that there is a problem, okay? Look at verse 24. Here's what he's going to do about it. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Look at verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here we have God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to his people about him doing a truly life-changing work in his people. He describes their hearts as stone. Rocks aren't alive. Rocks don't have the ability to believe. Rocks don't have the ability to respond. They don't have the ability to worship. They don't. And God says he will remove their heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, a heart that is alive, a heart that is alive to God. And in this heart being alive to God, it will walk in God's ways. It will be careful to obey God. It won't be indifferent to disobedience. It won't be bent toward disobedience. It will desire first and foremost to obey God. And so what we have in this passage is God speaking through Ezekiel that he will bring about this new life, this uh, living heart from a dead heart. He will bring it about in his people. This is what regeneration is. When God brings somebody to know him by his grace, he cleanses them from their sin, and then his Holy Spirit generates them, regenerates them, empowers them. The, the Holy Spirit works inside of them to give them life. If you look back to Ezekiel 36, you see that. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Later, he says, I will put my spirit within you. It's when somebody who doesn't have the spirit gets the Spirit. It's when somebody who does not have God gets God. And as I said this morning, they may be made in the image of God, but they don't have God. They may have a little bit of light, but they don't have the light, right? They don't have that. And so what regeneration is, is when God does that thing, does that life-changing work in them. Now, I want to point out that you may not have known chapter 36 from Ezekiel, but if you've been around church long enough or you were ever raised in church, then you know chapter 37 of Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones. You may have heard of that before. And what God does right after he says this in chapter 36 is he takes Ezekiel out to this dry, barren land that's horrible and ugly and nasty, and there's nothing but bones. And God says, how are they going to come alive and respond? And Ezekiel's answer is they can't. It's reminding us what dead people are like. You cannot get dead people to obey God. You cannot get dead people to worship God. You cannot get dead people to love God. And the Bible teaches through and through that we are dead spiritually. The message to Adam and Eve 
If you eat of that tree, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. In the New Testament, Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so as we say here all the time, it's not bad people becoming good necessarily. It is dead people being made alive. That's what regeneration is. It's where does that life come from, okay? That's what regeneration is. So, perhaps you've never heard of that before. Now, it doesn't use the word regeneration here, but we have this here tucked away in the Old Testament, this speaking to it, this newness of life. But now that I've brought it out, that this word regeneration is taught often by the Spirit coming and the newness of life coming and the new heart being given, now that I've introduced that to you, I want to show you and, 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 and cause you to think about that the Bible speaks like this a lot. If you've never been taught it, you may maybe never been discipled to think through regeneration and new birth and new life and all of that. You know, you may have memorized 2 Corinthians 5:17 before that says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, new things have come. Like we've heard verses like that. But I want you to know that the Bible speaks like this all the time. It does. We're just not used to it because we've never really heard a sermon on regeneration, right? And we have a whole lot of people coming, but tonight for the message of regeneration, right, there's not that many people here. And so perhaps many people are going to continue trying to think about Christianity without this awesome foundational, huge doctrinal truth that is very key in what we believe called regeneration, that God is the one that does it. God is the one who makes that new birth, okay? But the Bible often speaks like that, okay? Now, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to me. I want to read a couple, and I'm going to do this on each of the passages. At Romans chapter 2, verse 29, it says this, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So while there are Jews and Gentiles, the Bible there in Romans 2 says that if somebody is truly a Jew... It's an inward thing, not an outward. It doesn't matter who you're related to, who you're from, or anything like that. And the Bible talks like this a lot. Or, as we've seen here in recent weeks in our Bible studies in the middle of the week, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 says this. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human that God has written his life not on a tablet of stone, which he did do that once, but he has written that on your heart. See, what I'm trying to get you to see is that what regeneration is, what we're saying we believe, is spoken of throughout the whole Bible. You've just not had your ears or eyes open to it, and so now I want to show you that. Make no mistake about it. Dry bones can't live unless God makes them alive, and he does in Ezekiel 37. Make no mistake about it. Hearts of stone do not want to obey God, and they cannot obey and love God. But he says, I will give you a new heart that wants to. God doesn't make your heart of stone start loving him. He gets rid of your heart of stone and gives you a new heart. That's what regeneration is. It's when he does that. All right, so the first passage is Ezekiel 36, all right? Second passage, Titus 3. This is what we read at the beginning. Titus 3. Short book, really, really short book. I think only 46 verses in the whole book. A letter from Paul, the, 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 the leader mentor to Titus uh, about how to lead a church. 
But at verse 5, he says, speaking of salvation, chapter 3, verse 5, Titus 3, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So when he's speaking of how we got to be Christians, how did we end up this way, he starts to describe that God did it. It was not because of us. It was not because of the goodness in us. It was not because of our righteousness. It was not because of our works. Literally, there was nothing that you did that caused God to save you. All right? It was because of his goodness and his kindness, which he worked in you. And he even there in Titus chapter 3 uses the word regeneration. He uses renewal of the Holy Spirit. So there's the idea again that this is what God does when he changes hearts and makes believers. Okay. Now, this morning in our message on how do people become children of God in John chapter 1, right? It talk, we talked about how people rejected Christ and people still do reject Christ. But it says in John 1, verse 12, But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. But he qualified receiving him, not by blood, not born of blood, not by the will of the flesh, and not by the will of man, but born of God. You hear that? Born of God. It says that in John chapter 1, verse 13. That if you receive Christ which is believing in his name in in John chapter 1, verse 12, it was because you had been born of God. And this is the idea of regeneration, that that birth was a real thing. J.C. Ryle says, It is a change so great that no other figure but that of birth could fully express it, right? There's a lot of analogies or a lot of metaphors that we try to use But it's Jesus that uses this idea of birth or the new birth to describe salvation. Okay, go back to the testimony thing, right? And I know that when you talk to people, you say, well, when did you become a Christian, right? And that's a tough question, right? You're about to find out real quick from somebody how mature they are in their faith by how they answer that. There was a guest here today, and I was talking to them. And they're telling me about their life and telling me these things. And I said, well, when did you become a Christian? And they said, well, I've always been Catholic. That was their answer to when did you become a Christian? And they were here today. And they were asking if they could join our church. So I said, fill out a card and we'll talk again sometime soon, right? But see, that lets you know how much they're thinking about God did this. There are passages in the Bible where people share their testimony, right? Right? You think about Zacchaeus, his story, how he runs back, right? You think about the lady at the well, her story. You remember when she ran full of all sorts of guilt and shame, and she ran and she said, this person, Jesus, has told me everything I've ever done, right? In their story, there is this component of Jesus doing something to them. 
We know we recall many, many times Saul telling his story or Paul telling his story about how he met Christ. And upon meeting Christ, he had never been the same. And so when we start to tell our story, we say, hey, when I was at this stage of my life, somebody invited me to church, I'd never heard the gospel. And when I heard somebody talk about Christ dying on the cross for me, I felt convicted of my sins and I turned to Christ. He saved me, right? And so when we get into a testimony, it's are we speaking about what God is doing or what God has done in us or have, have we not? Well, when you start to read the Bible about how anybody becomes a Christian, it goes through regeneration. It goes through God did it. Ezekiel, there's the old heart taken away. There's the new heart put in. There's the spirit put in, right? There's this new desire. There's all of that. Here in Titus chapter 3, it is not off of anything we've done. It's what God has done through regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God's work in us. God's work in us when he makes us new and different. So I show you Titus 3 because we have there the word regeneration. Lastly, I want us to look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And this is the last passage we're going to look at. I told you I want you to remember three Three passages to help you think through regeneration. If you're ever wondering about regeneration, you hear preachers speaking to that, and you're wondering, what, what does this mean? Okay, we know that Baptists believe this. It's there. I told you Ezekiel 36. I told you Titus 3. And now we're going to look at John 3. Those aren't the only three. There are many, of, many, many passages, and I'm showing you lots that speak to this type of thing. But this is the one where Jesus is explaining it to Nicodemus. John chapter 3, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now let's stop there for just a second. This guy Nicodemus would have been as upstanding of a man as you would have ever known. He would have been pretty much an honest man. He would have been a good man. He was a leader of the people of Israel. He was a teacher of the Bible, right? He studied the Bible. He knew the Bible and all of that. But he did not know regeneration, okay? And this is what we're about to see. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So let's stop there for a second. Jesus does kind of seem to abruptly just throw this strong truth out there. I don't want to say he blasts him because it's hard to necessarily know exactly, but Jesus seems to come at it real strongly. He's going to say it again in just a minute. But notice this, according to Jesus, whatever the new birth is or being born again is, whatever that is, you will not be in the kingdom of God without it. You will not go to heaven without the new birth. Okay? That's what we see. Nicodemus comes at night. He's asking questions, and that's what Jesus says. Verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Which is, for us reading in 2020, reading this, sounds ridiculous that he would ask that, right? He seems to be so far off of what Jesus requires for heaven that it's troubling or even humorous that he would be that off on it. But he is. He's that far off. Are you saying that I've got to go back into my mother's womb and have some sort of an experience of being birthed again? Now, if you're thinking physically, then obviously that's not possible. But he's talking spiritually, 
And here's the problem. Nicodemus is so far from thinking spiritually about it. And I really want us to get tonight that sinners trying to think about what truly brings you into a right relationship with God are so far from it. Regeneration is so totally the work of God that if you've not been made new by God, you often speak so far off about it. Right now, you and I know people who attend church, read their Bible, and have been involved in the things of God for years and years and years. And yet, if you were to ask them, are you going to heaven? Are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? They would say something like, man, I hope so. I'm not really sure. I mean, I've really tried my best to always walk the straight and narrow. They would say something like that, which is exactly what Nicodemus says, and he does not get new birth. He doesn't get that. Where the Bible teaches us that the only way to be saved is through the complete work of Jesus Christ. And for us to cast all of our hope and faith in that. Andrew Crawford, again, has done an excellent job with the songs that we sing. And we sang this morning and tonight that Jesus Christ is our only hope in life and death. That's the only hope. So if somebody says, are you going to heaven, do you have a chance? It don't have anything to do with how good or bad you are or you've been. It's, is Christ able to save you? But the reason why so few people actually speak to that is because to truly believe that and hope fully in it only comes from God. It is a work of God. It is the power of God. It is the new birth, and it is the regeneration. And this is what Jesus is explaining or teaching or speaking to, and this is exactly what Nicodemus really doesn't grasp, sadly. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. So, born of the Spirit. You remember what Ezekiel said about the Spirit? You remember what Titus said about the Spirit? Titus said, renewed in the Spirit. Ezekiel said, I will put my Spirit in you. Jesus says here, unless you've been born of the Spirit. Now, this guy was born. He's got a mom. He grew up. He studied the Bible, he goes to church, he tries hard to do good, but he doesn't have the Spirit's birth. He doesn't have regeneration. He doesn't. So, Jesus says again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is speaking to regeneration. You must be born of God. Now, this phrase, new birth or born again, uh, actually means born from above, meaning born of God. And this idea of born of God is found often throughout the Bible. Now, if you're first reading this passage in John chapter 3 about Nicodemus, you have to say, like, well, how do you know that Nicodemus wasn't born again? I mean, he loved the Bible, he studied it, He was involved with all of the things that fall under the umbrella of God as a leader of the people of Israel, right? So how do you know that he's not? Well, this is where studying the book of John becomes really helpful because do you remember what Jesus said just back in uh, the end of chapter 2? Look what it says. Chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, okay? Many believed when they saw the signs he was doing. Verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them 
because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. God has the ability to look inside of us to know deep down why we do what we do. God is not worshipped so much by the outward as he's worshipped by the inward. God wants us to believe him and trust him and love him on the inside. And he knows that. That's why so often we see people encounter Jesus in the Gospels and they, from their perspective, have a lot to boast about as far as good, goodness. Do you remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus? And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And he throws out several commandments. And the rich young ruler in his pride says, I've kept all of those. So we have a rich young man with faith in Christ, seemingly faith in Christ, believing in Christ, he says, comes to Christ, asks him about heaven. I mean, all sounds good. We hope our kids are going to Christ today and saying, Jesus, what do I got to do to go to heaven, right? And there's a discussion there about obedience to the commands, and he says, I've obeyed all of them. Jesus throws out one more thing, and he walks away sad. He did not have the new birth. And so what I'm getting at is our Baptist faith and message says it is completely wrought by the Holy Spirit. I had to look up the word wrought. I didn't know what wrought meant. It's just an old past tense way of saying worked. That's all it means. So it sounds like this. It is a change of heart worked by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin. It is God's Spirit that works inside of us to change us, to make us alive. And so this is the discussion that you have with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, for all of the resume that he may have of why he thinks he is a true child of God, Jesus says there's one thing that you really need, and it is the new birth. Nicodemus doesn't even understand that. Now, just in case you're wondering, we do find out later in the Gospel of John that it seems that Nicodemus gets saved later on. But I want to show you a few other places, just listen up, where this type of talk is normal. I'm going to start at 1 John. And just listen now as we're talking about regeneration and new birth. Listen to this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So a life characterized by practicing righteousness like Jesus is righteous, right? So not your own def definition of righteousness, not a self-righteousness, but a righteousness that's like Christ and a commitment to it and a practice of it, that comes from the new birth, he says. Chapter 3, verse 9 of 1 John, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. See, this is what I'm saying. As more and more we talk about regeneration, the more and more we have this Bible study, you got Ezekiel 36, Titus 3, and John 3 in your heart and mind, then you start to see, well, this is very common in the Bible. This isn't just some out there doctrine. This is the way the Bible speaks a lot. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. The new birth 
is what causes you to love well, love accurately, love faithfully. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God. So there's this talk often in the Bible about the new birth. Well, that was John, but let me tell you about Peter. Here's how Peter begins his letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Peter, different apostle, different from John, speaking to the new birth. All right? So, Ezekiel 36, Titus 3, John chapter 3, regeneration is the work that God does. So now that we've seen those three passages and and you have a decent understanding of what those are, let's go back to our Baptist faith and message and let's read it. Regeneration or the new birth is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit. Now let's start here. Let's get practical about this. Through conviction of sin. You, much more than a conscience making you feel bad about it, come under the power of God and conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, when God regenerates somebody or gives them that new life or that new birth, he bring, his power brings them under conviction, and since they are under conviction, they then turn away from their sin and turn to Christ. Often when we are talking about what it means to truly repent, we say that it is a 180-degree turn. Your life is going this way. I'm not saying your life is going you know, to the worst things ever, but it's not going toward God. Your life is going this way, and when the Holy Spirit works inside of you, he causes you to do an about-face and turn and go this way. That's what repentance is. And as you turn away from your lifestyle that is not honoring to God, you turn to Christ who died on the cross for your sins, who took the punishment on the cross for you, and you turn to Jesus Christ believing that that's how God loves you and that's where you receive God. To all who believed in his name, John 1 says, he gave the right to become children of God. When we turn away from our sin and we turn to Christ because we've been convicted by that sin, we are saved. The reason why we do all of that is because God has given us the new birth, because we have been regenerated. The Baptist faith and message then says, repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. This is important to understand. You may have never heard that distinction before. They are inseparable. They go together. You cannot have repentance, true repentance, without faith. And you cannot have true faith without repentance. If you've never heard this before, you need to. I often like to teach this by saying it's two sides of the same coin. If you're walking down the street tonight or you're out in the parking lot tonight going to your car and you see a quarter on the ground and it's got, what, George Washington's head on the top and you're like, man, there's a quarter, right? And you go to pick it up and y'all know what's on the back of a quarter? Well, it used to be an eagle, right? But now it's like every state and every, everything we've ever been proud about as a nation, right? On the back of a quarter. We've got like unlimited quarters now. But it used to be just a big old eagle, okay? But let's say you reach down, it's a quarter, and George Washington's on the top, and you pick it up, and on the back, it's blank. 
Or on the back it says, like, go Trump, or something like that, right? You would, you would go, well, that's cool, but that's not a real quarter, right? But the front side looked just like a quarter. I mean, it was the exact George Washington date, you know, liberty, all of that. And you thought, well, that looked just like a quarter. Well, if the top, I mean, same size, same shape, same color, exact same image, looks like a quarter, but the back is blank, is it a quarter? No. And you know it's not. And you think, oh, man, I thought it was. They got me. And so it is with life, y'all. You might know a churchgoer, religious person, or whatever, and they talk all they want to about Jesus. They can tell you the answers about Jesus and all this. And they, 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 they say they believe in him. They say he died on the cross for him. But there's no repentance, conviction, brokenness, turning, admission, confession, turning away from sin. They have not been born of God. Likewise, if the quarter was upside down, and you saw the eagle, and you saw the states, and you saw all of that, and you went down and picked it up, and you turned it over, and there wasn't a George Washington, and it was blank, and you thought, it's not a quarter. Faith and repentance are inseparable. We know a lot of people that walk in humility. We know people who have a false humility. We know people who are quick to apologize. We know people that know that we're flawed, and we know that they're not perfect. We know people that, that kind of live this lowly life because they know that they're not God, but if the answer to the sin problem is not Christ's work, then that's not true repentance. Repentance turns away from sin and turns to Christ. Faith turns to Christ after it's left sin. And our Baptist faith and message says that repentance and faith are inseparable. They are happening at the same time. One final thing. I don't know if you caught this, and this is where we get real controversial uh, with our faith, okay? This statement seems to say that regeneration preceded faith. I don't know if you ever heard this before, and it absolutely does. Here's what I mean. The ability to believe, the ability to respond came from God when he made you alive. Those dead bones don't believe and love God back. It is a response to what he's doing. It is the power of God at work in us. We are living our lives, and when he makes us new, we rise up with life, and we turn to him believing. It is important for us to understand this distinction, and so I want to read this to you. We must be careful that we do not interpret the words which were born as if the new birth was a change which takes place in a man after he has believed in Christ and is the next step after faith. Saving faith and regeneration are inseparable. The moment that a man really believes in Christ, however feebly he is born of God, the weakness of his faith may make him unconscious of the change, just as a newborn infant knows little or nothing about itself. But where there is faith, there is always new birth. And where there is no faith, there is no regeneration. So what we are saying we believe in absolute consistence with the Bible here, is that it is God that raises the dead. And we believe every person is dead in their sins. I 
was dead in my sins. My children were dead in their sins. My great-grandma, who was so super nice and sweet, was dead in her sins. Your neighbor that loves you so well and is truly a great neighbor is dead in their sins. Every human being is dead in their sins. And how can they get right with God? They need new life. That deadness needs life. Where does that come from? God's grace alone makes them alive, makes them new, gives them a new birth. And when he does that by his grace, they respond with faith. That's why when we pray, folks, we're not praying to those people that they would just believe. We are praying to God that he would make them believe. We have a lot of children in our church, and it is our deep desire that they would know God, follow Christ, worship him. And if they are, if they ever do, and if they will, it will be God that does it. And so we labor and live and preach and teach and pray that God would save them, that he would give them the new birth. Regeneration is the work that God does in people to know and love him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Ezekiel, for John 3, for Titus 3. God, thank you for our Baptist faith and message that teaches us about that. God, in order for us to believe, we must have the new birth. You do a total, complete work change in us. And we praise you for that. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit who works in us. Thank you for conviction of sin. God, we are... So thankful that as a church we can walk through this study on Sunday evenings. We pray, God, that you would continue to strengthen our faith according to your word. God, we do love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.